0: you like movies about gladiators?
1: Those men wanted to have sex with me!
0: Great right. Scott! Nice Bieber! Oh, Cinderella boy! Rambo is a pussy.
1: Come with me if you want to move. Hello and welcome. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And welcome to Retro Ramble.
0: As you might have guessed it, we are brothers. We're movie-loving brothers who grew up on a healthy diet of films and who enjoy talking about it. In this podcast, we take a look back at the films we remember most fondly. What makes them so good? Do they still hold up today? Or have they dated horribly? And how do they compare to today's blockbusters? Each episode will have a retro focus, but naturally we will discuss more recent releases and relevant movie news as it comes up.
1: Yeah, and our aim is to keep you entertained. Hopefully, we might even inspire you to go back and revisit these films for yourself. As well as the movies themselves, we will delve into what made these films possible, the production challenges, other actors that were considered for the roles. That's in a a recurring feature, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But we'll also touch on uh, books we're reading, series we're streaming, and even games we're playing that are in some ways linked to the time, the genre, or the films themselves. Before we get into this week's episode, a quick word from George on some general housekeeping.
0: Housekeeping. So we are movie fans, we are not journalists. We are doing this out of our love of film. So be warned, we will ramble, there will be occasional swearing, bad impressions, and we are likely to go on tangents. Chances are you're listening to this podcast because you've seen these films or want to revisit them. But out of courtesy, please be warned, there will be spoilers from the very beginning.
1: Well, we may not be movie journalists, but I think it's always worth pointing out that George does have a degree in film. He knows what he's talking about. He stayed in touch with the industry since we were very young watching these films. I go to the
0: cinema regularly.
1: Yeah, he has no friends and he spends all of the time just researching for this podcast. I'm simply, um, I don't know, the hosts were the most and I ain't afraid of no ghosts. So without any further ado, what? I thought it would work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let's get well. our ramble on.
0: was Casper.
1: Look!
0: It's the Stay Post Marshmallow Man. Before there was Flubber. Before there was Man in Black. Hey, anybody
1: see a ghost?
0: There were only the Ghostbusters. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion.
1: Fire and brimstone. Earthquakes, volcanoes. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough! I get the point. So... Why Ghostbusters? It's another film of our childhood. Many people grew up with this. From whatever generation you're from, it's a film that you either watched at the time or it's been introduced to you since. It's a beautiful mix of comedy and scares. And since it's Halloween, we couldn't think of a better film to do. First memories, George. What is this? Because you were quite the young lad when you watched this film. Well, Well, technically, yeah, it came out in
0: 1984. Uh, I would have been one at that time. Obviously, <laughs> I did not watch the film then. But my first memories of, of watching this film, uh, I was around, uh, I think around five years old. I watched it around at a friend's house. They happened to live at a big, creepy old house in the middle of nowhere, which definitely added to the scare factor of the whole thing. I had nightmares for years and I probably didn't revisit it again till I was about 10 where I found it a lot more easier to watch. And around that time, maybe around eight, yeah, eight, nine, ten years old. And at the same time, I was obviously watching the cartoon, the, the real Ghostbusters. I had a lot of the toys, so I had the proton pack, I had the, the trap thing that you was sort of air-powered that you, you press down with your foot and open the doors and stuff. So, yeah. I, you
1: were the target audience.
0: I was, I was the highly desirable audience
1: as a young man. Whereas for me, uh, I was uh, six at the time and my dad was reading from the newspaper. Do you remember those kids? Newspapers. And uh, he gave me and my sister the choice, sorry, our sister, um, of going to see the Care Bears or Ghostbusters. And even at the age of six, I was well aware of what this choice meant. So I opted for Ghostbusters and like George was both amused but scared to death, particularly by the, is it the terror dogs, which we'll touch on? Yes. Uh, and some aspects of um, scary but sexy Sigourney Weaver.
0: Even though the terror dogs have dated horribly, one of the few things that happened
1: Back then, I'd never yeah. seen something so scary, and I never looked at gargoyles or statues in the same way. So, George, to get us started, um, how did Ghostbusters come about? What's, what's the back
0: so it's all—it's uh, all down to Dan Aykroyd.
1: Focused, non-terminal,
0: repeating phantasm, or a class five, full-roaming vapor. He um, has apparently always been fascinated with the paranormal. I think his grandfather was a uh, paranormal researcher, and he originally intended uh, the film to be a, another vehicle for himself and John Belushi. Uh, they, those two were obviously in uh, Blues Brothers together, so that cracking film. So that yeah, amazing film, and a, another great soundtrack, and another potential retro ramble film. I'm sure at some point, depending on demand. So Blues Brothers had started off as a, a sketch on. Saturday Night Live, and it morphed into a very successful film. So yeah, they were looking for something new, something different to get involved with. And yeah, his uh, Dan Aykroyd script was was all based around sort of quantum physics, parapsychology, but taking a classic screwball comedies of the 1930s, a comedy horror, but making it in the present day. But his original pitch was very high-concept, very ambitious, some would say. So in the original draft, the Ghostbusters would travel through time, space, other dimensions, taking on huge ghosts. They were dressed in SWAT-like uh, outfits, you know, like a SWAT team. They used wands to fight ghosts. Um, sounds menacing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it, it sounds a little bit all over the place. And so uh, Dan Aykroyd pitched uh, his, his story to director and producer Ivan Reitman but did they even have the effects to pull that sort of stuff off back in, back in 84? Yeah, you're spot on, because whilst Reitman uh, liked the basic idea, and for a comedy film, they rarely do have... It's not a big budget Yeah, they, they don't have no. much of an effects budget. So they had to scale it down, because according to Ivan Reitman, such a film, even at that time, in 1984, would have cost over $300 million, just due to the special effects and scale of it all. So he brought in uh, Harold Ramis into helped re- redraft the script and make it more uh, scalable, more current and yeah, bring it into modern times and take that concept of the, the ghostbusting element of the comedy. And so together they worked on it and they were creating roles for John Belushi, Eddie Murphy and John Candy, which we'll, we'll probably go on uh, in more detail further on. Ivan Reitman, uh, just for, for people who who aren't aware, he's got great sort of uh, comedy credibility. So from the sort of late seventies, early eighties, all the way even through to sort of nineties, and now, I mean, he's a huge comedy producer. But he's directed. Yeah, uh, what's he? What's he done recently? He hasn't done a huge amount recently. He's he's probably did a lot of
1: the time though, didn't he? Yeah.
0: So he's well, he's responsible for for uh, retro ramble favorite Arnie's uh, comedy career. So he directed and wrote Twins Junior and Kindergarten Cop. So, yeah, he's done a lot there, but he's done uh, Animal House, obviously, is is, is a classic. He did a lot of stuff for Bill Murray early on with Stripes and Meatballs, but I actually haven't seen either of those. I've
1: seen Stripes. That's good.
0: And he's done more, uh, I say, producing uh, more recent comedies like Road Trip, uh, I Love You Man, as well as The New Baywatch, and the most recent take on Ghostbusters as well. He did My Super Ex-Girlfriend with Uma Thurman, which is a bit meh. Um, Evolution which was a, apparently a sort of a, again I, I haven't seen it but an attempt to sort of recapture that Ghostbusters magic and he has currently got in the pipeline a sequel to Twins called Triplets with Arnie Danny DeVito and Eddie Murphy Oh my god They all need the money <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, just getting back into the timeline so they're rewriting the script uh, Harold Ramus and
1: Dan Aykroyd during this time, tragedy happens. Yeah, of course, John Belushi. Uh, he was. It, this was actually during the. They they got they got the script down, hadn't they? When, he, unfortunately, John Belushi passed away of a uh, was it overdose on cocaine.
0: Massive drug overdose, yeah. mixture of. Well, it must be a mixture. Far yeah. too much heroin and cocaine yeah. mixed.
1: But this was pretty far down the line of uh, you know the the draft yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, so yeah, he was he's a big part of the you could say the comedic direction of the film. Yeah, uh,
0: so his his role was was rewritten slightly and went to Bill Murray. The role that was intended for Eddie Murphy of Winston, so that had to be changed because of Eddie Murphy's schedule.
1: Because, yeah, he would have been making... Oh, no, it was the same year. They came out the same year, Beverly Hills Cop.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, Eddie Murphy was, um, was busy with Beverly Hills Cop. And I think, actually, Beverly Hills Cop may have outgrossed this film.
1: I think it did in the year, if we run the numbers later. Uh, Yeah, in the box office. It did better in the box office, but Ghostbusters has done better over time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Probably due to album of the soundtrack sales as well. And merch. Yeah, serious merch. Uh, So, yeah, he was
0: originally supposed to be Winston, but once he passed, the role was scaled down, much to... Ernie Hudson's uh, discussed. <laughs> um, John Candy was 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 lined up to play uh, the role of Lewis Tully, who was t- taken on by uh, the very brilliant Rick Moranis, who we will go into detail about how good he is and how much we love him. So yeah, that that's it in terms of the sort of the pre-promotions. In a similar vein to what we we're chatting about with the, the Tim Burton Batman film, the pre-promotion was all based around the No Ghost logo, and again, that's become. And I yeah, the logo. the logo. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's it's still such a recognizable logo, and it actually becomes quite a a key plot feature in the uh, the, the recent remake with uh, the the all, all girl remake. And then, in just in terms of stats, it was uh, Ghostbusters was the highest grossing comedy of all time, up until 1990 when. That pesky Macaulay Culkin came along with Home Alone. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's it in terms of general sort of pre-production trivia.
1: Well, shall we... We'll dive in and uh, just review the film then. Okay, let's we? get our packs on. Let's yeah. bust some ghosts and get onto the review. Was it Pull Pull a Stick? Pull on my wand. Pull on your oh wand. Oh, God, no, no. So, George, I think before we go into the film, just, just for those who need a quick refresher, give us it in a nutshell. Get into your nutshell and give it to a In
0: a nutshell. Three New York college professors develop their own ghost-capturing technology and attempt to catch ghosts for money. Along the way, they encounter a beautiful woman whose apartment building may be the gateway to another dimension, which could unleash evil forces across the world. Scares and laughter ensues.
1: Well, I don't know where to start with this film. Um, in terms of the, they they're established as struggling, uh, and almost in later on disgraced uh, professors. Mm-hmm. So there's some great delivery from. Um, it becomes very quickly apparent that Bill Murray is going to be the, you know, the the comedy. The deliberate comedy centre of this film.
0: Yeah, I think that we, you and I both rewatched this film uh, separately because of of logistics and and everything. But we both, well, that was our first sort of thing is like, whoa, this is this is Bill Murray's movie, isn't it? And I think hats off to to both Dan Aykroyd and Hal Ramis that you know they could have easily got. Properly ego-driven and giving themselves the best lines, but it is clearly Bill Murray's film, and they're they're happy to let him run with it.
1: But it's it's interesting that they didn't um, that we didn't remember it that way. Like, no, we, everyone being, remembers it as in an ensemble. Yeah, but being the kids that we were, the Ghostbusters plural were it wasn't we didn't even know the term ensemble cast. You, which we were like, but it's the Ghostbusters. It was yeah, just they're a team. They they were a team, so we remember them as a team. But I do think, yeah, there were some memories. It was like Winston was very prominent in the cartoon. But yeah, almost and, almost forgettable in the film because he, he only turns up in the third act, isn't it? In the film, yes. Or is yeah, it like, maybe? Oh,
0: he, I think he, he, it's about forty-five minutes in, yeah, something like that. For and for a film that's, I think, maybe an hour forty. Yeah, that's. Yeah. He appears quite late in the he's day. He's kind of
1: positioned as, an, as a member of staff. They're, they're the, like, they're the, it's almost like they're the, the founders and like, they need extra manpower and he's taken on board. So, mm. yeah, but I, whereas watching it again, it stands out. It's almost like it looks like a Bill Murray film that we're used to more recently, yeah. doesn't it?
0: The thing I forgot about it, I mean, yeah, we've, we've talked about it, it has that perfect balance of scares and comedy, but right from the off, like it is a Bill Murray show and there are some brilliant jokes i mean you've you know, you've you've got that first scene where he's being introduced where he's doing the Psychic test.
1: Yeah, yeah, the psychic tests with the the hot girl and the geeky guy. There's a lot of that's a lot of that is almost it? slapstick. It's just Bill Murray's face and that other guy who keeps on getting electrocuted, and he's just like, I'm like whatever the girl says is right, and whatever the guy says, he gets
0: electrocuted. <laughs> and what, what's the line? It's like only another seventy five more questions to go. Yeah. But it's just brilliant, and then yeah, you you're quickly introduced to the other characters with, you know, Ray and, and Egon. But then again, there's that nice switch with that library scene. So you've got, yeah, some more jokes there of them interviewing her.
1: Uh, are you habitually using drugs, stimulants, alcohol? No. No, no, just asking.
0: But then they encounter their first ghost, and it's quite scary with the yeah. weird sort
1: Soundtrack, of the setting, it's a dusty... It's underground. It's a, they, they walk through this glorious uh i'm not sure if it is the central library in new york it probably is i'm guessing I think it's new york central library. um but and then but then they go down into the depths and there's some great physical work of uh, what, what what's a library what's a library <laughs> yeah what's a newspaper what's a library <laughs> we're going really analog really here. back back in time but yeah there's some great physical work um and yeah it's it, it sets the tone you've had a, a nice little bit of banter and then but when 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 the jokes are on the jokes are funny when the scares are on you know, you get a yeah. bit of a shock. It's, but it's eerie. I think it was something about the well, 80s.
0: I think a lot of that is down to the soundtrack. Again, we'll, pro- we'll, we'll approach that. Uh, we'll tackle that in a bit. Are we going to talk about ectoplasm and... And its gooey?
1: similarity with... Um,
0: um... No. No, no, no. Okay, let's move on. Let's move on. It gets everywhere. It's a really persistent stain.
1: Sticky, translucent uh, goo. Oh. Being um, juvenile, George.
0: Very juvenile. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm overanalyzing it, but there's a certain grittiness to it that works. Is like the fact they're they're not, you know, they're they're geeky guys... They're, they're outcasts. Pete Venkman, Bill Murray's character, is the outsider because he thinks he's a bit of a ladies' man. They're, they, you know, they they've drink. got their
1: diplomas, they've got their postcards, they've got all the, the qualifications they can, and now it's like you can see that they are of the age where they actually have to start being valuable, generating but, income.
0: But, but then they get, you know, they're coasting through their, their grant at the university. They get chucked off the course and they're sat there in the middle of the day drinking brandy or something saying, what are we going to do? And there's that brilliant moment from Bill Murray when he's just like, I
1: don't know, Ray. <laughs> I don't. know. <laughs> but yeah, I think there's just a certain sort of like because he, you was telling me he improvised pretty much all of his lines. Oh yeah,
0: well whilst whilst you know they've they spent a lot of time reworking the script. I think yeah, it's Bill Murray and uh, the great Rick Moranis improvised a lot of their their own dialogue.
1: My feeling on that is that even though Belushi had done a lot of the work, Murray was brought in. He was like, okay, I'll come in. I've seen where this is going, but I'm going to do mm. this. Trust me, you know, I'm going to do this my way. I don't know how many takes it took, but I think but, it's clear that it was his style, and he was probably trying to make a bit of a statement that he wasn't just... Yes, he was a stand-in, but he had something of his own to offer.
0: But it's interesting to think, if, you know, Belushi hadn't died, and he would gone ahead, you don't see... see him in that role. Yeah, whereas Belushi is charming and can be deadpan and sardonic, he's not really a ladies' man. And whilst Bill Murray isn't, you know, a handsome man... He gets away with it. He yeah. gets away with that. Okay, yeah. He's he, got
1: the sleaze down yeah. to a T. <laughs> yeah, and,
0: and it's kind of a you can kind of sort of believe he's had a little bit of success rate. Whereas I'm not sure with uh, with John Belushi. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I keep sort of being tempted to say James Belushi, but that's that's a different kettle of fish.
1: We'll get to canine oh, later. God. <laughs> I'll
0: just shout all my lines and I'll be funny.
1: So we've got the three characters well established. You've got, I mean, I don't want to call it, um, you know, Attack of the Nerds, George, but who we've got? We've got so there, there's Ray, Peter, and Egon. Yes, yeah, so you've got Ray, and they, they're quite clearly cut.
0: Um, so you've got Ray, who's got you know pure enthusiasm, naive type guy, and does all the technical jargon. Peter, we've we've touched on being the sleaze. Egon being the, the deadpan geek, you know, was the uh, the classic line. I collect spores and fungus. Spores, moulds and fungus, yeah. And then you've got Winston, who's the
1: Blair everyday Joe. <laughs> yeah, who's just been pulled in because, yeah, he's he's um, accessible. No nonsense. He, he, because he's cheaper than Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and he's willing to grow a moustache just like Eddie Murphy. Just had at like the time. Eddie
0: Murphy. And he's willing to smoke as much as the rest of them. Yeah. I so say, getting back to that that balance between comedy and and horror, I suppose, rather than scares, is yeah. It's this film has great soundtrack, has brilliant sound effects as well in terms of the sort of scary sounds, the sounds of all their kit.
1: Yeah, it's some futuristic. So when they turn turn on the proton packs.
0: Yeah, the proton packs, or was it? An, you know, we're all wearing nuclear accelerators on our packs.
1: Yeah, we should uh, probably take it take <laughs> it easy. Yeah.
0: Um, the sound of the car you know the the siren then it's <laughs> like it's it's properly iconic and unique it's almost like the sound effects
1: from back, like to future, back to the future i Back to the future stuff the, the, Star the, Wars, fu- the, the f- fusion yeah yeah the tie fighter blast the fusion flux capacitor sort of sound
0: iconic to to that film in particular yeah you know sort of they take it as their own but, yeah, getting to the the scary scenes, obviously, we talked yeah, we're, about...
1: Yeah, where we're at, we're we're being well, introduced to Dana's character,
0: aren't we? Yes. The lovely Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> um, but that scene where, yeah, she gets back from her grocery shopping and the eggs just start popping out the box and frying on it's the kitchen. It's
1: really eerie. I think it's because, as you said before, it does come across... It encapsulates the... Obviously, New York is a great, exciting place, but there's a certain gritty... I don't know what the word is, like untamed nature of the city. And it's, and it's shown that they're all in, you know, their high rise apartments. Mm-hmm. They've got, they've got views of the cityscape. And then, yeah, you see her doing a typical day, but that scene is just, it, as you say, it's the soundtrack. The no, the noise in the background, it's not like comic style ghost noises. It's quite, yeah. it's just eerie.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of really good work on the, the soundtrack uh, part. The, practical effects and i think that's how do they, what they re- do
1: the eggs well i suppose they just uh, it must have had a hot plate underneath
0: i think they've got a hot plate and then they've got obviously something on springs to to launch the eggs out but i don't know how you can launch an egg and get it to split in midair so i'm
1: jury's <laughs> out Further research out is required but
0: i think that's that's a uh, out of all the effects that's one of the few i think that's why it's still genuinely scary is because it holds up Whereas, yeah. you know, the obviously special effects. The rest seen, of
1: it is clearly special yeah. effects, visual effects, whatever.
0: But an interesting point in the in that scene, you've got some very clever foreshadowing of the stave puff marshmallows. So that's part of Dana's shopping is she's got a big pack of, of stave puff, which I never realised, I think, on several watches of this film. I was only watching it recently. I was like, oh, yeah, some stave puff marshmallows.
1: Well, that's how it's introduced, you know. Yeah. When he becomes relevant towards the end, it's introduced as something that's been around forever but for, in the universe of this film.
0: Well, least. that's it. I mean, for, for years, I think we were both under the assumption that that was a real American brand because, you know, growing up in in rural England, yeah, you just take it for granted. And because it's seeded it throughout the film so well, I think there's another part where there's a a stay-puffed uh, poster or billboard somewhere. Mm-hmm. So they've they seeded it quite well it's quite I just thought you looked out, like the it. Michelin
1: Man. Well, yeah, <laughs> M- Michelin
0: Man crossed with the Pillsbury Doughboy. Or apparently. a little chef. <laughs> or little, little bitty chef. Whilst you've got fictional brands there, you've also got some Amazing product placement. Drink Coke. Uh, when uh, yeah, when Peter Venkman's opening uh, Sigourney Weaver's fridge, there is yeah, there's Coke, there's Perrier, there's loads of stuff that's like really prominent. And uh, well, we love Sony
1: to, Walkmans.
0: We love to have a bit of a uh, a rant about product placement and some, some really prominent stuff here. But yeah, getting back to Sigourney Weaver, yeah, we I think we we may have touched uh, on her in the past. Well, we haven't touched her. That's that's weird. I
1: haven't had the opportunity.
0: I I've tried. She's a great actress, and this is a great role for her because there's comic moments for her with her initial sort of bantering with, with uh, the sleaze with that is Peter Wegman, the, 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 the sex pest that is Peter Vekman. <laughs> She's that damsel in distress in you know in the in the middle scenes, but then she turns into evil demon woman.
1: Yeah. And in both films, because, I mean, we're not going to touch on it much, but in both films she does that, what she brought to the Alien franchise in the first films. Where... What, a, a flamethrower and machine gun structure. No, together? No, not the, not oh. the multitasking oh, okay. uh, yeah. amazingness of that. No, but the fact that when she's trying to get people to take her seriously about a, th- an un, a threat that's apparently unseen. Why won't anyone believe why me? Why won't anyone believe me? So she, she, she's very good at that, but yeah. as you're going on to say, she... Goes all the way through to um, paranormal sexy demon,
0: Sexy demon woman. Yeah. It's a bit like another sort of uh, 80s uh, horror leading lady, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, that... She's really, you know, she can do horror, she can do comedy, and if she wants to, she can slut it up like in True Lies. So, you know, <laughs> like Jamie, I'm not entirely sure why, you know, they can be do a bit mannish. Do it, do some more. Do it sexy. Do it slowly. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why I'm attracted to Jamie Lee Curtis or Sigourney Weaver, but I just am. They can be very sexy when they want to be.
1: Yeah, exactly,
0: George smoke <laughs> okay um, yeah I just can't believe how much I think this is one of the worst films this gives madmen a, a run for its money yeah this makes
1: madmen look tame l- in looks
0: comparison. tame the use of casual smoking is Th- they are like practically lighting each other's cigarettes at all times and there's just some general really bad sort of uh, safe practice there's A scene where uh, Ray, you know, um, Dan Aykroyd's character, is working on the car. He's got his head stuck in the engine, and yet he's smoking around a... Yes, around a petrol-covered engine. Covered in petrol and oil, what's the worst that can happen? You've got, um, in the news montage, you've got Larry King, who's smoking whilst reading the news. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you've got some... They are smoking throughout, and... And this goes out saying, and we 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 uh, touch on this on a, a lot of our podcasts. But um, and we'll probably put a link in the blog. But you have to check out the the honest trailers for this. They they do a lovely smoking montage of this film.
1: Yeah, and it's a, it's that when you see it together in the ten seconds that it is, it's scary how many scenes. And it's the fact that it's so casual.
0: According to IMDb, apparently Ghostbusters two, they actually had to play it down. So there's a lot of. In this one, there's a lot of risque humor. There's a, there's a lot of swearing. There's a lot repeat. of cursing. A lot of cursing for a kid's boobs. Film. There's boob grabbing. There's, there's, there's dick, a, jokes. There's dick jokes. Dick jokes. <laughs> the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. There's a lot of smoking. I know apparently all those elements were toned down. So Ghostbusters 2, whilst still being scary and having... It's scenes of, like, decapitated heads floating around and stuff like that. They play down a lot of things like the, the swearing and the smoking.
1: I suppose they could probably get away with a lot of it because there's, there's no blood. It's all sticky, <laughs> translucent glue and... Goo. Goo. Um, and, it,
0: and it was the 80s. It was a different time.
1: Yeah. I guess that makes it... Kids weren't really going to see this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not like you were six. So, um, I think we should probably talk about the soundtrack. What a soundtrack. We had the Whole soundtrack on vinyl, and I remember what's what's vinyl, Charlie? Vinyl is <laughs> high fidelity do, do, do music. You buy, do you buy the vinyl from this library, you speaker? No, you, they are accessible in libraries, <laughs> as are cassettes and VHS. VHS. No, so um, the well, you give us some, the, you give us the numbers first. I'll give you the. I mean, we used to listen to this vinyl a lot. You know, yeah, about, it's
0: it's, it's an amazing soundtrack, and yeah, it was around the same time as as we touched on. Uh, on our, our older episodes about you know sort of the, the, the Jerry Bruckheimer sort of the, you know the top gun era of having a hit pop soundtrack. We listened to it a lot growing up. Still oh, do. Still do. It's a crack. Just album. once a day. Just just once a day. But the the hit song Ghostbusters by Ray J. Parker Jr. was a huge hit. So it was number one in the States for three weeks and it was at number two in the UK top forty for three weeks.
1: Brian Adams laughs at such paltry
0: numbers. (laughs) I know, right? I mean, everyone thinks Ghostbusters was a big hit, but obviously that was... uh,
1: Not even double figures.
0: Not even double figures. In other trivia, it was Oscar-nominated, so for Best Original Song, but actually lost out to everyone's weepy classic, Stevie Wonders.
1: I just called
0: to say I love
1: great track. I'm not sure... I think that was from Lady in Red? The Woman in Red? The Woman in Red? Lady in Red, Woman in Red. The I think it's from... the Woman in Red. Lady yeah. in Red is from your other favourite album by Krista Berg. Chris Berg. Which is also from the 80s and will no, feature but... on the Krista Berg but... podcast next week. <laughs> Side podcast? <laughs> um, but that was a Gene Wilder film, isn't it? Woman in Red? That's the Woman in Red, yeah. And
0: I think that's Which is where... basically
1: about having just a little bit of adultery, never hurt anybody. It's, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah.
0: But apparently the the song was so successful... Somebody's come up with this figure. One, the producer, saying uh, it, it purportedly added $20 million to the box office taking of the film because it was so successful and added to the awareness, the, the promotion yeah, of the, the film. Yeah, the
1: brand brand awareness, definitely. <laughs> um, so in, much so, in, in, some people weren't too happy, were they, George? Yes. Uh, so, uh,
0: Huey Lewis of Huey Lewis and the News, who uh, obviously gave us the...
1: Power of love!
0: Exactly. <laughs>
1: and back. In time, not and, related. Same film
0: and uh, other stuff that's featured in American Psycho. Uh, he <laughs> he sued Ray J Parker Jr. because he he claimed that it copied a melody from one of uh, his songs that Huey Lewis and the New Song "I Want a New Drug." I've I've listened to it and I'm I'm not particularly sold. I I don't think I'd be voting in in Huey Lewis's defence, but they settled out of court, so they must have had some standing for it. But apparently, Huey Lewis had been approached to to do the song, but he was busy with Back to the Future. Fleetwood Max Lindsay Buckingham was also approached to write the theme song because he'd had success uh, writing the song for the National Lampoon's vacation film, Holiday Road, which is another McGee family favourite. Absolutely. But he declined because he didn't want to get into a rut of being labelled as a guy that wrote movie themes. And essentially that role had already been taken by Kenny Loggins. <laughs> But yeah, in terms of the really spooky orchestral stuff, that's by an amazing composer called Elmer Bernstein. He's responsible for some amazing soundtracks like Magnificent Seven, Ten Commandments, Great Escape. But he also did quite a lot of uh, comedy soundtracks as well. And that's probably where he's been brought into the fold here because he did uh, the orchestral stuff for Airplane, Trading Places, uh, Animal House. And apparently he was a bit pissed off that uh, a lot of the stuff that he'd composed and written was cut to make way for some eighties synth
1: pop. So was that cut from what are you talking about? It was cut from the film or it was cut from the album? Because I remember there being some orchestral composed stuff on the on on the vinyl. Well
0: apparently they it was only until I think the I think it was in like two thousand six they re released a full album of all of his all orchestral stuff. So Mm. he'd written a couple of hours worth of material and I think there's two tracks on the original soundtrack that features his stuff and the rest is a, it's a pop soundtrack and that's probably why you and I liked it so much.
1: But, but he's responsible for that orchestral music, the Airplane 2, where they're in space and there's lightning. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. What a pisser yeah you can uh, it stayed with us hasn't it
0: yeah you can see why the sort of um, if uh, if we're being uber critical they maybe use the Go- Ray J. Parker Jr.'s Ghostbusters song a little bit too sure, frequently geez. in the film maybe. How,
1: they what they use it what 20 25 times tops
0: <laughs> uh, you know I, I'm just going to the shops Yeah, it it does. It's a bit like Doctor No using the James Bond theory. Walking uh, across a
1: hotel lobby. Dun, dun, yeah, dun, it's dun.
0: it's a little bit overused. And we were ch- chatting about its its appearance in the second film, is still quite prevalent. But it's also having to. It's been
1: remixed it's in been... the second films. I I I I, I ain't afraid of no ghost. Yeah, it's
0: been remixed. You've got Bobby Brown fighting for some screen time as well. Gets a cameo. Yeah. One person we haven't talked about in this film, we've talked about how brilliant Bill Murray is, how brilliant, lovely Sigourney Weaver is. But there's one man who we I think we've said is the, you know, the MVP. MVP! MVP! Most valuable primate, a person for this film, and that's Rick Moranis.
1: Yeah, going back and watching this film again, I think when I was younger, I think I probably didn't give him the credit because I was like, who's that annoying that annoying whiny sort of neighbor whereas now I'm like this is comedy gold why did he obviously he decided for personal reasons to take a, a step back um from film but he's so good in this and so much of it is improvised isn't it
0: yeah he, he's he's great as the sort of I don't know if he is creepy but the the needy neighbor to Sigourney Weaver yeah, there's that amazing scene where he's got. Um, he's having a house party. He's, he's having a having... house party, but he's writing off all expenses because they're all clients. Everyone's a
1: client.
0: <laughs> and he's more than willing to share everyone's financial information with when with inter- all of the other guests. <laughs> when introducing people.
1: Everybody, this is Ted and Annette Fleming. Hi, how are you? Ted has a small carpet cleaning business in receivership. Annette's drawing a salary from a deferred bonus from two years ago. They got fifteen thousand left on the house at eight percent but he does the whole scene it's in one take yeah and he improvised the the entire thing
0: he really makes it that character and it really adds something like to a a nice subplot apparently that was a role that was originally earmarked or written for for john candy but john candy came to the role he wanted to change the role he wanted to make the character german and everyone was like no that's really unnecessary slightly
1: stereotypical
0: yeah so so uh john candy walked and i think that's for everyone's benefit because yeah Rick Moranis. I think this is one of his his greatest roles.
1: Absolutely. Shame he didn't do more stuff. Apart yeah. from what was it? Honey, honey, uh, I blew everyone.
0: Honey, no. I, honey, I blew uh, the kids. The uh, honey, honey I, I blew everyone. Honey, honey, I blew up the kids. I blew up the kids. Yeah.
1: yeah. Honey, I shrunk the kids. I shrunk the kids, and then I blew up the kids. Yeah, I don't know what the other film is that we're, t- we're getting confused No,
0: about. no, it's not Freudian slip. But Moranis is also brilliant when he's been turned, when he becomes yeah. the, the, the Keymaster, <laughs> And he's it's, like,
1: Vince Glotho, the coming is good.
0: And it's just like, there's so much exposition dialogue, but he says it with such he, enthusiasm. He does such a good job. Whilst wearing a colander with some wires attached to it. Yeah,
1: uh, But he sells it in, and when he's like... Talking to the horse. Are you the key Master? <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. It just shows his range. That's what. That's why I felt a bit sad because, to be fair, in the the Honey I Did Things films, <laughs> <Don't, in> the, <laughs> let's Honey, not I not call it that. Okay, let's let's <laughs> let's make it safer. Honey, I did things to kids. To our to our family. <laughs> honey, I did things to the kids uh, films yeah. franchise. Um, he he's playing it pretty straight. laced there's not the comedic rip no, that we're seeing in this film.
0: There's a certain in this. There's a certain franticness. We
1: love you. We salute you. Rick Moranis.
0: We, we we miss you. Yeah. Um, so where are we he's, now? He's, he's not dead. He's just taken a break from acting. Yeah, he's put his put his family uh, first. Well, we have to touch on on the on the villains of the piece. I mean, obviously you've got uh, Goza who uh, is... is Some sort of freaky... Paranormal... Nightclub dancer. Um, (laughs) Wearing what can only be described as
1: late 80s discotheque
0: (laughs) garb. Um, No, you've got the villainous uh, Walter Peck who uh, I haven't even written the guy's name down, but everyone will know him as the dickhead reporter from Die Hard. <laughs> um, he's obviously very good at playing an asshole. <laughs> Look uh, at my CV. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got so much range. Um, you've actually got two uh, Die Hard actors in this yeah. film because there's a very- Twinkie eating um, bl- Yeah, there's a Cop. blink Yeah, blink and you miss it role from Al Powell, who's uh, the policeman that releases the, the Ghostbusters when they've been locked up in prison. We're quickly getting to the sort of... The Ghostbusters have to save the day. Save well, the yeah, day. Well, yeah, because
1: there's a lot of montages.
0: That, yeah, we
1: Well, <laughs> this was the 80s. After, after at least two montages involving copious amounts of casual smoking... Casual racism. Spinning news newspapers. Yeah, because the newspapers kind of do a lot of exposition as well, don't they? Telling a story through newspaper Yeah, spinning advice. newspapers into the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah, Eight, and More 80s more synth music. Yeah. Synth yeah, bop. Yeah, I think we'll probably have to add that in. I'm yeah. not sure if I'm a good... Uh, you not know doing it justice. Um, yeah, and there's some great... But before we get into the third act, I mean, obviously it's escalating. They're catching ghosts left, right and centre just before we're introduced to Dickhead, reporter from Die Hard. It's building up and then we get into act three... You know, we've got this conversation. I think, but... I think Winston's been
0: introduced at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
1: he's having this deep conversation, this religious conversation with uh, Dan Aykroyd About the end of
0: days. Yeah,
1: God, but he's Jesus. obviously they're gone, smoking. They're smoking, <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd kind tells him, "Let's just be quiet and have another sound song from the soundtrack." Let, let's just. <laughs> <laughs> Should we listen to the Ghostbusters soundtrack? <laughs> it's been ten minutes. <laughs> And then, yeah, you get to the... Act
0: 3. Act 3 with the villainous building, which is... Well, we've, we've both been to New York. Yeah,
1: and it's we, not there. <laughs> it's, well, it's... It's, it's it, kind of it's, there. It's, it's
0: there. They've, they've done some... There is some great matte paintings, matte effects work. So uh, matte effects when they actually paint... And draw like uh, visual effects onto the actual film footage, so it looks like it's actually in place. Batman, we talked about yeah, this one. like we, Batman well, does a lot of matte work, and it's a great effect in it, and it doesn't sort of show up too too much. Um, but yeah, they added on like an extra twenty floors onto the haunted apartment building.
1: I would also gamble that it's actually harder to spot than CGI.
0: Yeah, because yeah.
1: today with CGI, you see things you're like that is not possible, things too- that don't exist. That look- things that that can't exist or can't be mm. replicated whereas i think with the what what you find with batman looking back and with this film that we you, we believed for years we believed for years that this was a real building so yeah you've got you've got
0: gozer you've got the whole bit of them um... Going up the numerous floors and
1: not being yeah the elevator not working
0: and then we're introduced to the the Safe puff marshmallow man which is both very sort of cute adorable and slightly terrifying at the same time. <laughs> again some you know pretty good effects work yeah you, models mainly but yeah I think. there's there's a cracking uh, behind the scenes photo and again it's, right, we, it's yeah it's like we we talked about it on I think uh, yeah using the miniatures on uh, Terminator and there's a New York, se- there's, I'll, I'll put it on the blog. There's a New York street scene, and there's a Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I think he's like five foot tall. Yeah, and they've done the whole street scene. So yeah, there's some great, s- some effects that don't hold up. Yeah, we talked about the terror dogs, which were terrifying to us as, as small children, but the stop motion is is really sort of dated, quite bad. Yeah, um, but it's still a great concept.
1: Well, that was what I was being told as I was sobbing, not able mm. to see, it's not real. These but, are special effects. But it's
0: also paired with that really scary music from Elmer the dun, 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 yeah. yeah. It's it's well done. As many a man that's had to uh, share a unirinal with another man, they have to cross the streams. Yeah. Um, that's the way it goes. There's not any euphemisms going on here. To, uh, to destroy uh, an interdimensional portal or close an interdimensional portal. Read into yeah.
1: that what you will. Is that a joke for the parents? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with it. I just got
0: lost with my euphemisms. And then, yeah, you've got some more Ghostbusters, more more 80s synth pop. Everyone's having fun. Yeah, let's play Ray J. Parker Jr. one more time.
1: And you've got that thing they do at the end of Any Good Comedy, which I think they did at the end of Blues Brothers, Airplane, Animal House, where you've got to see the cast... Or just looking at the camera and just Candid a little camera. bit of a wry smile. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you've caught me. Yeah. Um, when do we talk about the line from Winston? I've seen shit that will turn you white. <laughs> you've, oh, ju- you've just said it. I don't think anybody else apart from a black actor could get away with saying that.
0: <laughs> not sure. Yeah. If it, not sure if it would work coming from Bill Murray. <laughs> no, not at all. Not yeah. at all. So yeah, I don't know what, what what else is there there left to say about this film. I mean,
1: it's still a good film to watch at Halloween. It's it's a great yeah I think that's it I think watch it at any age with any crowd what, I, I, can you, well not do,
0: not any age I'd say maybe from about eight I don't know it depends no on I want six
1: year olds to go through what I went through George it's not it's the only way to make yeah, this fair
0: I don't know if they would be as scared whether the, you know because of the effects and stuff but I think it's quite the the horror comedy is it's a niche genre and I think it's for that for a reason because you either it's like how far do you go in either direction? Is it more and this is a lovely balance. And yeah. this is a lovely balance. And there's other films like that, and they're, they're probably more recent films. Like, but um, I put Shaun of the Dead in that category. Yeah. Shaun of the Dead maybe probably veers more on the, on the comedy level, but there's still no, a lot, But when there's, there's a lot of gore, I'd
1: say it's quite similar. Yeah. The fact that when there is gore, like what happens to Dylan Moran. Yeah, I, I still can't watch that happen. Yeah, like when I watch that, it is very
0: gory. Yeah, another one which I don't know if you've seen, but uh, what we do in the shadows. Yeah, that, I've you know, seen most of that. Yeah, yeah Taika Waititi again. That's more more comedy, but there's it's obviously it's you know if you know your horror tropes, you know your vampire type lore. It's definitely worth a watch. So yeah, it's it, it, I think it is a tricky balance, but I don't know what it is about Ghostbusters. I'm not sure why it's it's endured so much. Why it's become
1: Such a cult classic. Yeah, because, I mean, we are... We're not just saying it's a cult classic because we all know it. There is literally a cult following the franchise of Ghostbusters. Yeah, so I watched a... Well, you know, Netflix is, is
0: great for documentaries... And whilst looking for Ghostbusters uh, to, to refresh my memory on Netflix, there's actually a documentary about Ghostbusters fandom, and it's called They are. Um, they call themselves Ghostheads. Apparently, so
1: in the same Where way. Where do I sign up? Uh, I've got a few free weekends. Sounds. So I just need to dress up as a Ghostbuster and start hunting paranormal. It's
0: yeah. It's it, it, it's you know it's as a documentary. It's not. It's not a great documentary. It's just doc- fascinating content. But but yeah, there, there is some great content. There's some scary people out there. Basically, they are, they are as you would imagine any fan, there's people doing customised uh, Ghostbusters outfits, the boiler suits, the, the proton packs. People are like spending hundreds if not thousands of dollars on movie-accurate proton packs with the sounds, with the lights and everything. But the thing I found out fascinating was that they're actually... Ghostbusters chapters so there's the the New Jersey Ghostbusters there's the Alabama Ghostbusters and they all have their own individual patch Insignia Insignia and it's not just America there's like a factions in Italy UK and they all get together but what is this is conventions
1: this... They're, they're just like what well, is it celebration of the films and the characters yeah. from the films, or are they actually hunting ghosts no, no, <laughs> no they no, they don't go that far. No, but there's actually quite
0: a nice slant on it because they do. And again, I don't know if it's how much misrepresentation that being a documentary, but they're saying about how much they do for the community. And a lot of them, it would just be a case of them being part of a like a town parade with you know somebody that's done up uh, their car to be look like the the Ecto One, you know, the yeah. Ghostbusters car, but they're doing it to raise money for charity. So there's a yeah. lot of them doing doing that angle of raising money for charity. And, I, and that's the sort of the point that it makes, that unlike dressing up as Iron Man, dressing up as Batman or Wolverine, the fact is with Ghostbusters, and the, one of the reasons why it's so appealing, is that anyone can be a, a Ghostbuster. Yeah, you, you know, just need it, a new, you know. nuclear
1: generator on your back and you're good to go.
0: <laughs> no, but the fact is that, um, and the nice thing that, that everyone does is the name tag not? No one's got you know Venkman stands. Yeah, they've
1: got their individual. Everyone's
0: got their own names because that's it. Any anyone can be a, a Ghostbuster, and and that's the sort of the nice thing. It's very inclusive and there's some sort of proper sob stories like uh, I, you know ghostbusters has saved my life it's changed my life <laughs> i was an alcoholic and then i discovered ghostbusters you joke but there is that i in, can in, believe yeah. It. but yeah it's it's nice that you know something like a you know a common interest can bring people together i think there's a little bit of maybe my cynicism creeping in because it's all sort of tied in with the filming of, of the new film, of the new Ghostbusters that was released last year, the all-female
1: remake, reboot, whatever you want to call it. So I suppose, is that now a good time to, to talk about that? I think there is time to talk about that, but I think before we do, we should probably cover our monthly feature regarding the first Ghostbusters film of Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. Of course, of course. Let's
0: Let's jump into that. <laughs> In Coulda, would Shoulda, when I do my research for this, sometimes
1: sometimes trivia is... One just, eyebrow raises, sometimes both eyebrow raises. And sometimes
0: I spit out
1: the drink I'm drinking at the
0: time for, for comedic effect, but this sounds too good to be true, in all honesty. So, for the role of Egon, apparently the following actors were considered. Christopher Walken, Jeff Goldblum, John Lithgow and Christopher Lloyd. Can we not
1: just have those four as the Ghostbusters? <laughs> what?
0: Exactly. Why Why try and remake it with all women when you put those four guys? I would definitely go and see it.
1: Ectoplasm. <laughs> I'm
0: a right, right, nuclear reactor. I'm Cross the Beams. I'm Jeff Goldblum. would be amazing. Uh, John Lithgow scaring the shit out of everybody. Christopher Lloyd can be the crazy... Yeah, I'm sure he could do a crazy scientist going. He would have been tied, though, with Back to the Future back then. Oh, that's true. Obviously, that that didn't happen. Um, Thankfully. Because cause w- cause what happened was uh, Harold Ramis uh, finished writing the script and he felt so close to the character that he figured he could uh, act out the part. So, obviously, Harold Ramis hasn't done a huge amount of acting over the years. He, he sadly uh, passed a few years ago, but he... Um, Gave
1: us Caddyshack. Uh,
0: yeah, he's... he's um, <laughs> more of a writer and director so he gave us Karishak he did uh, Multiplicity with, which is a very underrated Michael Keaton comedy um, that came out in the mid 90s I think that for Coulda Woulda Shoulda we've talked about this being a few others so uh, John Belushi Eddie Murphy but I just thought those those four actors were too good to to not mention
1: okay let's get on the phone to one of the big production companies uh let's see if we can make this a go picture um more recently i i watched well we both watched it recently but ghostbusters 2 a retelling of the a similar story similar plot line some would say it's a cynical cash in yeah I wouldn't say it's still good what I do like about uh, what I liked about watching uh, Ghostbusters 2 was the fact that all of the everyone involved had made an effort to take things to the next level to develop the characters so Peter Venkman has gone from being a complete sleazeball to a sleazeball who's aware of his antics and needs to try and settle down. Self-aware sleaze. Yeah, and take on some responsibility in life. And by Mm -hmm. the end of it, there's questions of, you know, can he... Is he? Could he be a decent father? I think he even says in the film, "I could have been your father," which is a bit creepy. Yeah. And it's just as well the baby can't understand him.
0: Yeah, they've all, they've all gone through some character development. So Egon's back in a stable job doing some interesting couples therapy. Um, and you've got Winston shaved off his mustache, so that's yeah. character development. He's a
1: new man. That's that's what. It, what I'm not allowed more range than that? <laughs> no. Can I shave my mustache? <laughs> maybe <laughs> that'll do
0: i I caught a little bit it was on uh, ITV two the other night so I caught about a middle half hour. You've still got they're still good at that that balance of scares and and, and comedy that that horror and comedy but it there is it does feel like it's you know it's hitting the sort of the key moments of the first one okay let's it's that that horrible sequel trap of what works in the first one let's just do a different spin on that.
1: Yeah, the sequels, cashing checks, basically, on our nostalgia. But enough about that, George. Tell us about the more recent Ghostbusters film, which does none of that.
0: Which, you know, wasn't courted with any controversy. It was welcomed No, welcomed the from the get-go. ...open arms. Um, so, yeah, Dan Atkwood was, was desperate to try and get Ghostbusters 3 up and running throughout the 90s and the, the early noughties. Um, they ended up doing... I think a lot of those ideas were incorporated into a game on, that ended up on the PlayStation 3 which I've only played a, a, a little bit of a, of a demo, but it was really good. You are basically playing a, a fifth Ghostbuster.
1: Was it like a first-person shooter? Theater? Yeah, first-person, yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, apparently the, the game got a lot of good, good reviews. Yeah, eventually it morphed into a reboot, a remake, um, under, in the hands of uh, Paul Feig. Feig, Feige, Feige, Who cares? So yeah, he does. <laughs> so he's the man most famous for writing and directing *Bridesmaids*, and this remake stars two two of the uh, the women from that: Kirsten Wiig and Melissa McCarthy. Wiig. Uh, Wiig. I think okay. Wiig. Two eyes. And yeah, this this film was everyone is is more than aware. It was met with some really hateful. Controversy. Um, there were some very small-minded people that threw up uh, before they'd even seen it. Before they'd even seen it, attacked this film. They attacked the female stars online. Sexist comments. People, just the idea ra- ra- of ra- racist comments. Yeah, racist comments so, uh, about l- the black uh, actress. Leslie. I can't remember the the, the name of the girl, but the, the the black actress was was racially abused and had to leave Twitter. And it was, it was really nasty stuff. And in all honesty i think it overshadowed the whole film From, in, before it even no, but, but when it was released it people were talking about and that became a a point of contention is like you know all these people have hated on this film and you know what it's not they've been proved wrong
1: it's it's all right yeah <laughs> i think that was the problem that it wasn't yeah it wasn't it wasn't it was going to be difficult for it to be anything else it other than acceptable well because it's such a
0: the original is such a beloved property None of and none of the stars were were in it. I mean, they all do pop up in cameos. Yeah, that's that's my issue with it. I mean, I don't have an issue with it being all women. Those women are very funny. They're, they've all been on Saturday Night Live, which is it's nice. You've got that connection there, and they've all been very funny, and they've been funny in other films. But this film just isn't funny. It isn't scary. It's a lot of the jokes. I don't know if it's my sense of humour. Or sort of all being or, no longer the ro- the right demographic of being a six year old, perhaps <laughs> being a six year old, <laughs> or uh, you know, an independent woman. No, I, I think it's just I think it's just Paul Feig's films. I maybe he wasn't right for the Ghostbusters yeah, style. Uh, I, I, I enjoyed Bridesmaids. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was amazing. I liked it. I thought the heat with Sandra Bullock was was all right. I thought Spy was okay. Again, I thought it was overrated but this yeah it's just i don't know if it's just it's just a certain type of comedy and uh, just a lot of the jokes fall flat. Uh, Chris Hemsworth actually is one of the best things in it as the really stupid receptionist. Mm-hmm. But it's just got a, it's got a crap villain. I say the the effects this there's no real scares there's no real jeopardy there's no banging 80s synth <laughs> pop
1: soundtrack. And yeah it's just a bit Meh. It raises the question of... I mean, he was executive producer or producer on this. Why didn't Reitman direct?
0: Yeah, I mean, he hasn't directed much recently. Um, Just don't want to. Don't want to direct. I mean, yeah, I suppose it's playing it safe because, you know, Paul Feig had had a lot of uh, success with with those films and it was a trying to do something different with, you know, having all, all women, but... Yeah, it's just a bit bland. So, I think that cause they had big plans to expand the whole Ghostbusters that are, are one of our favorite terms, the shared universe. The
1: dirty word. There, there was going
0: to be a male spin-off, there was going to be a cartoon tie-in, and there was going to be a male be... spin-off from the female spin-off of yeah. the male spin-off of the male original. Yeah. Um and they'd even set up uh, a production company called Ghost Core. Call with the logo because that's how serious they were that they were going to branch off and because the film underperformed yeah I think everything's been put on put on ice
1: okay well I think that just about wraps it up for this month's episode we will be back next month Um, we will be back with the hit 80s classic Gremlins but thank you for listening Uh, I've been Charlie McGee I've been George McGee and we'll see you next time bye bye now